can wrap up those conversations. <clears throat> what is a TV show or book that you have been enjoying lately? Something that some of you might not know is that I've actually been in grad school or seminary for the past six years, and I have one more paper left, and then I am done. And so my, my answer to what book have I been enjoying lately, I'm like, after May 14th, I will begin to enjoy books again. Uh, but would you join me? Let's pray as we begin our time this morning. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you that you are a God who delights in revealing yourself to us. We thank you that you are a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And so Jesus, as we walk through your word this morning, would you open up our hearts to receive what you want to say? And would you give us wisdom on how to implement that as we step into our daily spaces? Lord, we commit this time to you. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, I love sports, but it has been a tough time for my Wisconsin sports family the past month. Our basketball team fell woefully short of expectations, and in the football arena, our quarterback decided to break up with us and go to greener pastures. It's been a tough time. But I remember a few years ago, I was watching the Milwaukee Bucks basketball game. And I remember where I was. I was in my house and I was in my room and the game was getting pretty intense. It was about a minute left. The score was tied and I had gotten off my bed and I was kind of crouching down with my hands on my knees just looking intently. Some of you know the sports posture look. Some of you have seen loved ones take the sports posture look. But I remember the game was tied and one of our favorite players was sent to the line, to the free throw line, to give us the lead. And so he got the basketball and he dribbled it and he raised it up and he shot. But the screen went blank. And in its place popped up a message saying, error cannot connect. I was frantic. Did someone turn off the power? Did my TV stop working? I flung open the door of my room and I yelled, hey, did something happen to the internet? Unbeknownst to me, my roommate at the time and dear friend decided that that was the moment he was going to reset the router. <laughs> and when he found out what he did, he ran upstairs. He was so sorry. He's like, here's my hotspot. How can, what can I do to help? And this, his sorrow was just drowned out by my frustration, my anger. I was quick to blame, quick to accuse him. And to top it off, when the game finally popped back on the screen, the Bucks had lost. They lost because I was not watching <laughs> the game. That's, that's not right. All right. Okay, that's a ridiculous story. But all of us have experience with feeling angry, right? Sometimes it's at bigger things in this world, like when we turn on the news and we see violence and brokenness and pain. Sometimes it's at people we don't know, that driver in front of you who can't zipper merge. Sometimes it's at inanimate objects. Most of us have been there when we've been yelling at a table or a bed after we've stubbed our toe. But oftentimes, we feel angry at the people that we're closest to. Sometimes it's a coworker 
or a roommate, a spouse. Sometimes it's a neighbor or even our kids. There are situations in this world that'll make us angry. But the problem is so often our default is to react in that anger, to be quick to blame, quick to accuse, quick to get angry. Yet what scripture shows us is that as followers of Jesus, we're invited to leave that default and step into a new way of living. And today the question I want us to wrestle with is when we get angry, how are we going to respond as followers of Jesus? Today we're continuing our series called What God is Like. And through the past few sermons, we've emphasized we don't have to wonder what God is like because God told us. And this whole series is based out of Exodus chapter 34, where God shows who God is to the people of Israel and to Moses. God says, I am gracious and compassionate. I'm slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. And today we're going to look at that third characteristic, that God is slow to anger. This is one of the most nuanced characteristics of who God is. And yep, that's right. I took two months off preaching, and Steph said, when you get back, you're going to speak on slow to anger. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. But honestly, this topic is beautiful and it's deep. And we're going to cover a lot of ground this morning, but in 30 minutes, it's really going to feel like we're just scratching the surface. And so if you want to go deeper in studying what does it mean that God is slow to anger, there are resources that we'll send out Monday, that's podcasts and things that we've read that have helped us. And also, I love talking about this stuff. And so if anyone has any questions or if you want to wrestle together, let's do that. I'll be here after both services. Just come talk. I'd love to just both wrestle together. What does it mean that God is slow to anger? Now what scripture shows us is that God does experience anger. But God does not react out of anger. Rather, God's response is based on God's mercy and love. And when we experience anger in a world that is quick to react, we are invited to imitate God by being slow to anger. Now, each week we've been watching these word studies created by the amazing folks at the Bible Project. So to get us started, let's check out this video on the slow to anger character of God. If you tried to describe what God is like, it could be difficult or daunting. But when the people who wrote the Bible pondered the mystery of God, they consistently described God's character in this way, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. We're going to look at this third phrase that God is slow to anger. Now, that might surprise some people. Isn't the God of the Bible mostly angry, striking people down for their sins? Well, it turns out that God's anger in the Bible is way more nuanced than that and way more interesting. In Hebrew, the phrase slow to anger is pronounced erek apayim, or literally long of nose. But what does God's patience have to do with a long nose? Well, first we need to look at the common biblical Hebrew way to say that someone is angry. Their nose burned hot. Like in the story of Joseph, when Potiphar thinks that Joseph tried to sleep with his wife, his nose burned hot. It's usually translated, his anger burned. It's describing how your body, especially your face, gets hot when you're filled with anger. And so in Hebrew, the main words for anger are either nose or heat or hot nose. This is why a patient person is called long of nose. It takes a long time for their nose to get hot. Like in the biblical proverb, 
A person's wisdom is their long nose, that is, their slow anger. Now, in the Bible, God gets angry numerous times, but God doesn't have a nose or get hot. These are metaphors using our experience of hot anger to describe how God feels when he witnesses human evil. Just like you would get angry if you saw a child being bullied on the playground, so God gets angry when humans oppress each other and ruin his world. In the Bible, God's anger is an expression of his justice and his love for the world. But he's slow to anger, which means he gives people lots of time to change. Like in the story of the Exodus, when Pharaoh enslaves the Israelites and has their baby boys thrown into the waters, God sends Moses to confront Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's given 10 chances to let Israel go free. But after the 10th refusal, Pharaoh rides out with his chariots to destroy the Israelites. And so God destroys him in the waters. Pharaoh's own evil is turned back upon him. And we read that this is an act of God's hot anger. Now, that's really intense, but think about it. God wouldn't be good if he didn't get angry at Pharaoh's evil and eventually do something about it. And notice that God's anger is expressed by handing Pharaoh over to the consequences of his own decisions. And this is actually how God's anger is shown throughout the scriptures, like in the story of the Israelites. Over and over again, for hundreds of years, they betray the God who rescued them from slavery. And though he gives them many chances to turn around, they keep giving their allegiance to the gods of other nations. And each time we read that the hot anger of God burned against the Israelites. But notice what always follows. God gave them over into the hands of their enemies. Israel wanted to serve the gods of other nations. And so God, in his just anger, gives them what they want as those nations circle back and defeat Israel. This is similar to what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Romans. He says, God's anger is being revealed against human evil. And then three times he says what that looks like. God hands people over to their destructive desires and decisions, even if it leads to death. But Paul also says, God is patient, giving people time to come to their senses and change. Because remember, God's anger is a response to human evil. And it's based on a deeper character trait, his compassion and his loyal love. God is not content to let people sit in their own self-destruction. In the Bible, God's on a mission to rescue. This is why Jesus said that he was going to Jerusalem to die as a demonstration of God's love for his enemies. He would stand in the place of his people who were choosing self-destruction and take the consequences of their decisions upon himself. In Jesus's life, death and resurrection, we see God's anger at evil and his love for people working together to provide forgiveness and life for a humanity lost in self-ruin. So God's anger in the Bible is really important, but it's not the end of the story. When God is angry and brings justice, it's because he's good. And he's extremely patient, working out his plan to restore people to his love. And that's what it means to say that God is slow to anger. Eric Apayam, <clears throat> God is long of nose, or literally God is long of two nostrils. That's such a strange way to talk about God's patience. But like the video said, the topic of God's anger can leave us pretty uncomfortable. In fact, God's anger or wrath in the Bible are major reasons why people struggle with the Bible. 
But just like taking a puzzle piece away from the finished product or zooming in on a corner of a painting, when these verses about God's anger are taken out of the larger context of God's story, it can leave us with an incomplete or an imbalanced portrait of who God is. Now, there are many verses that talk about the anger of God, and today we're going to use Psalm 103 as a launching pad. So you can turn there with me in your Bibles, or if you have an app, there are also Bibles in the pews if you want. Psalm 103, and if you need help getting there, honestly, just open the Bible to the center and you'll probably end up in the Psalms. Now, Psalm 103 was written by the Israelite king David, one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. And what I love about Psalm 103 is that it talks about God's anger, but in the context of the greater story. That yes, God does experience anger, but God is slow to anger because God's response is based on God's mercy and love. Literally, I love that gracious and slow to anger are surrounding, uh, gracious and loyal love are surrounding God's slow to anger. Now, before we jump in, Dr. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project gives a helpful caveat that is going to be helpful as we go through our conversation today. He writes that in our culture, the emotion of anger can fall into two categories. The first category is anger as protection. Now, in this category, anger is a physical response our bodies generate when something we value is threatened, compromised, or lost. There is almost always a deeper feeling or value at stake that generates an angry response. So that's the first category, anger as protection. But then there's a second category of anger, and that's anger as abuse. In this category, anger is a sign of losing self-control. And when it's expressed by someone in a position of power, it can be used to bully, threaten, or intimidate subordinates into compliance and submission. So you have these two categories of anger. And when we read about God's anger in the Old and the New Testament, it is always that first category. Anger is protection. And as we talk about anger this morning, I am also talking about that first category, anger as protection. The physical response when we feel that something we value is threatened, compromised, or lost. We need to be clear, there is no validation for anger to be used as abuse. In fact, when people use anger as abuse, God actually gets angry at them because we know that God is protective of those who are abused and the vulnerable. And so when we talk about anger this morning, we are talking about God's protective anger. And so with this in mind, let's go to Psalm 103, and we're going to focus on verses 7 through 12. So David writes, Psalm 103, verse 7. He says, He, or Yahweh, or the Lord, made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. If those verses sound familiar, that's good. Scholars think that this is David's meditation or reflection on Exodus chapter 34, that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. And David continues. In verse 8, it says, He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Now here, David is reflecting on God being slow to anger. 
But I have to ask, why harbor anger at all? Wouldn't it be better if God was never angry? Wouldn't that make our lives interpreting Scripture a little less complicated? Well, to continue to flesh out this theme of anger, we have to ask two questions. First, why does God get angry? And what does God get angry about? These are two really important questions. So first, why does God get angry? Well, two weeks ago, my wife Anna and I, we went to the uptown area for dinner. And as we were walking to the restaurant, we were stopped at a stoplight, and a woman who had visibly been on the street for some time came up to us. And as she came up to us, she said, I've been out in the cold for the past couple days. And instantly in that moment, both Anna and I were like, oh, that is so hard. And I said, that is really hard. I'm so sorry about that. And I said, Lord, is there a way that you are inviting us to listen, a way that you are inviting us to serve? And just as I was thinking about that, all of a sudden the woman looked at Anna, and it was a little cold, and Anna was rubbing her hands together. And the woman looked and said, you think you're cold? You aren't cold. And then she cursed Anna out. I was so shocked that all I could get out of my mouth was, hey, that's not cool. (laughs) But the woman left, and the signal changed, and so Anna and I kept walking. But I remember that whole dinner, I felt so angry. There was just this pain within me. I remember at one point during the dinner, I looked over at Anna, and I put my hand on her shoulder, and I said, I believe some things were declared over you that are not true. And I proceeded to say, Anna, in Jesus' name, I bless you. And I began to bless Anna and pray for her. And in classic Anna fashion, while I'm doing that, she's like, thanks for saying that. And also, we should probably pray for the other woman. And Anna started to pray and bless this other woman while I am gripped by anger. But that's another sermon in itself. (laughs) I got angry because I feel protective over Anna. And Anna feels protective over me. I felt the emotion deeply because I love Anna. When you're close to someone or something, you feel emotions deeply. Later in Psalm 103, later in the Psalm, in verse 14, it says, God knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. It's this call back to Genesis where God got close and molded humanity out of the dust. Imagine like molding something out of Play-Doh or molding something out of clay. You have to get close to work on that product. But then God doesn't just mold humanity out of dust, but it says God breathed life into existence. It's this image of God leaning down, getting close to creation and breathing life. In the creation story, we see that God is not a distant God, but a God who is close. And that closeness leads God to feel deep emotions like compassion, an emotion that starts in the gut. But that closeness also leads God to feel deep emotions like anger when God sees God's children hurting each other or themselves. When humanity is threatened, compromised, or lost, God experiences anger because God cares deeply about humanity. So that's why God gets angry, but what does God get angry about? In the Bible, God gets angry specifically at injustice, evil, and covenant betrayal. As King David writes this psalm, David knows the story of the people up to when he became king. He knows about Pharaoh, this evil king who we read about in the first part of Exodus. 
This Pharaoh enslaved the people of Israel, committed mass genocide because he was greedy for more power, and actually creates an unfair, unjust working environment for the people. Pharaoh displayed abusive anger towards the people. He was the epitome of injustice and wickedness. And the people cry out, and God hears the people. And it says later in Exodus that God's anger, God's protective anger, burns against Pharaoh. Like the video asked, would God truly be good if he was not deeply moved by injustice? Is that a God who we could follow if God never responded to injustice? Yet in the story of Exodus, even here, God is slow to anger and gives Pharaoh 10 warnings to turn, but Pharaoh doesn't. And in the end, Pharaoh's own sin leads to the death and destruction of him and those around him. David also knows that after this story, the people left Egypt, but immediately sought to have God on their own terms. Pastor Steph talked about this earlier in the series, how in Exodus 33, while God is on the mountain covenanting and committing to the people, the people are in the valley breaking that covenant by making a golden calf. It's like the wedding vows are being broken while the wedding ceremony is happening. Now, just like God felt protective anger at Pharaoh, God felt protective anger at this betrayal. Yet who does God reveal God's self to be immediately after this betrayal? Does it say in Exodus, he passed in front of Moses, the Lord, the Lord, quick to anger? That would be what Moses would have expected. That would have been in line with all the other gods of the nations around them. But time and time again in the story of God, God shows, I am different than the gods of the nations around you. And God says, I am compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And God recommits to the people, even when God was the one who wasn't at fault. Now, in the next part of history, David knows that while the people initially turn back to God, soon they turn away. And throughout the time of Judges, the people participate in this vicious cycle of rebelling against God and worshiping other gods. And it says that God's nose gets hot, or God feels protective anger. But over and over again, we see that God does not react in that anger, but responds by giving them what they want. In fact, this is how God shows God's anger. He lets people choose what they want to do, even if the path leads to death. But because God is slow to anger, he never gives up on the people. And so when the people cry out for help, God helps them. But then the cycle continues. Even in David's own life, he participated in the cycle. He had carried out injustice and violence, choosing to turn away and follow his own base desires. Yet God, because God is slow to anger, Yes, God lets David feel the consequences of his actions. But God never leaves David. And when David repents or turns around, God is always there. God is slow to anger. This is why David writes, and we'll continue through Psalm 103. In verse 10, David writes, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. What do our sins and brokenness deserve? We deserve God to leave us. If you or I were in charge, we would have left a long time ago. To be abandoned to our own choices because all humans consistently turn away from God. Yet God 
is patient. And while people are allowed to experience the consequences of their actions, God is also with them as God invites them to turn back to him. To turn away from death and towards the life God offers. God is patient and present. God, David says that God does this because as we continue, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. David concludes this stanza by saying, this is why God never leaves us. This is why God is patient. This is why God is slow to anger. It's like David's pen flies off the page as he writes, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for us. As far as the east is from the west, and you can't get any further than that, so far has God removed the things that separate us from God's light and God's life. What great mercy and love. Now, while the psalm looks back at Israel's history, through the psalm, we can also look forward to when the fullness of God's mercy and love is displayed through Jesus. As we read the Old Testament, the people continue in the cycle of sin and brokenness, and God finally gives them what they're asking for. And they end up going down a path that hurts themselves and causes their own oppression. Yet God never gives up on the people. God is slow to anger and is not content to let the people sit in their own self-destruction. I love what the video says. God is on a mission to rescue. Someone had to break the cycle. And so God, who was already close, decided to take a step closer. It says God enters this world. As John says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The message translation says God moved into the neighborhood. And through Jesus, we see the incarnation God in the flesh. Through Jesus, we see the incarnation of Exodus chapter 34 and Psalm 103. Jesus showed God's protective heart for the marginalized and those experiencing oppression. Jesus showed God's protective anger as he called out the religious rulers and those who were oppressing the people. And he showed God's heart as he wept for those who were intentionally going down a path for destruction. But above all, Jesus came to stand in the place of his people against the forces of darkness, death, and destruction. On the cross, Jesus, God himself, takes on the consequences of their decisions and the brokenness of this world. The cross is the intersection of God's justice and love. Yet when it seemed like darkness had the final say, we know the end of the story. Jesus rises again defeating the powers of sin and death and destruction. And in his resurrection, we are now empowered by the Spirit to live a new life, a life not bound by the cycles of sin, a life not bound by the defaults of being quick to anger, but a life that can join God's work of love and restoration in the world. Now, there are still moments where we turn away from God, and there is still brokenness that we'll face but Jesus reminds us that we can live as free and forgiven people. That God's gift of grace and God's presence is steadfast. God is slow to anger. Yes, God acts, but his response is based on God's mercy and love. And so what does that mean for all of us today? As we head into this week, Monday through Saturday, what does that mean for us? Now, there are things in this world that will make us feel angry. This is because we've been made in the image of God. 
And so naturally, when we experience brokenness, injustice, betrayal, pain, just things we just think are wrong, it's normal to feel frustrated. But what should our response be? Well, in a world that is quick to react, we are invited to imitate God by being slow to anger. In leadership theory, there are two postures that are talked about when facing a situation. One is a reactive posture and one is a responsive posture. Now, a reactive posture is one that makes snap judgments, one that reacts and responds right away. A responsive posture is one that takes a step back, considers the full picture, and then responds. What we see throughout Scripture is God is not reactive in God's anger, but slow to anger, so his response actually comes from love. A love that is not just a flowery kind of love, but a love that always protects, always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. Yes, this love is refreshing, but this love is also refining. Yes, this love leads us to green pastures and quiet waters, but this love also stands in the gap and protects people who are feeling hurt, those who are vulnerable, and those who are abused. God responds out of his love. And so when we get angry, we're invited to respond rooted in God's mercy and love. Now, in 2017, our covenant members got together to discuss what a responsive posture would look like. We looked at the news and realized there is a lot of brokenness, there is a lot of pain that is all around us, and so how are we supposed to respond to global things, but also in our own personal spaces? And so we came up with these steps that help us maintain a responsive posture. And this was honestly before 2020 when the whole world turned upside down. But these practices have helped our church keep moving forward even when we disagree. So here are the practices that help us maintain a responsive posture. They are to repent, lament, and act. Repent, lament, act. What does that mean? Well, first, when we get angry, we have an opportunity to repent. Now, this word is often limited to confession, and while that is part of repentance, repentance at its core is simply a change in trajectory, turning from what we're facing and turning towards God. And that's where we have to start. When we feel angry, the first step should be to slow down and turn towards God. In turning towards God, we're able to receive God's patience for us and actually step into a life empowered by the Spirit. So the first step is repent. Now, the second step is lament. Lament is a practice that is found throughout the Bible. In fact, David actually writes a lot of the lament psalms in the Bible. It is this rhythm of being honest and holding on to God's character. God can take our frustrations. Sometimes it's frustrations at the world. Sometimes it's frustrations at those we love. Sometimes it's frustrations with ourselves. Oh, I should have done better. Sometimes it's frustrations at God. God, why haven't you acted yet? God, why aren't you doing something? Why is this happening? And that's okay. God can handle that and actually invites us to do that. And so we start by repenting, by turning to God, and then we lament. We're honest with what we're frustrated about, and honestly, it helps clear space in our hearts so that we can then receive and hold on to God's character, God's compassion, His grace, His patience, His love, and faithfulness. And after we repent and lament, then we act. 
Acting is necessary. Being slow to anger should not be confused with being apathetic. Being slow to anger simply means we slow down and fix our eyes on where the spirit is moving and join there. Now, acting might look like a conversation. Acting might look like finding resources like a counselor or a safe friend. Acting might look like loving your enemy and choosing to serve one another instead of being so caught up with being served. Acting might look like taking a courageous step and saying, God, I am ready to join you in making the wrong things right in my city and in our world. But notice how different this is than the instant default of reacting to a situation. Both reacting and responding do end with action, but reacting keeps our eyes fixed on the anger, whereas response moves our eyes to Jesus for wisdom. Reacting helps us act as motivated by anger, but responding helps us move empowered by the Spirit. Repent, lament, act. This is necessary whether you're facing big systems of injustice or whether you're facing a conflict between friends. We will experience anger, and in a world that is quick to react, we are invited to imitate God by being slow to anger. Can you imagine a church or people that actually imaged God in the way we responded to situations instead of reacted? Can you imagine if when people looked at the church, they said, wow, the church acts, but they are slow to anger. They act motivated by mercy, grace, and love. Imagine how that would change our city. Imagine how that would change our families. Imagine how that would change us. And that's the life that Jesus invites us to live. This next song talks about acting. It says, make me a vessel of your love. Make me a vessel of your hope. Make me a vessel of your peace. And the bridge says, let your mercy flow through our hearts and to our world. This is not the default posture. This is something we get to step into by turning our eyes to Jesus and asking God for wisdom and asking the Spirit, where do you want me to join in and would you give me the courage to step towards that? So maybe as we close this time in worship, think of the places you'll be this week and invite the Spirit to reveal to you, God, how can I imitate your patience your mercy, your love in my everyday spaces. Holy Spirit, would you come and reveal to us what you want us to know. We thank you that you are a God who is slow to anger. We thank you that you are a God who is patient. And Jesus, we are so grateful that we get to join the work that you're doing. And so Holy Spirit, would this time be a time of surrender? What do you want to do? hearts are ready to receive your word. In your name I pray.